Well, thank you. It's a great privilege to be here. Uh, it's a great privilege to have my son introduce me. I, I did remind him that I'd be speaking after him, so be careful what you say. <laughs> but I really uh, enjoy the friendship I have with your pastor. I really respect him and his commitment to uh, ministry. And it's nice to see the familiar faces from man camp here. That's a real highlight for us uh, to come and join with all of you for, for man camp every year. Uh, but I, who am I fooling? I'm really glad to be here because I get to see my son, my daughter-in-law, and their three sons. So it's great that this worked out, that we could be here all together. And I want to talk today about the family. I want to talk with us from God's Word about the family. So if you take your Bible, you can open up to Psalm 128, Psalm 128, and we're going to take a look at that passage together this morning. You know, I have a great concern for the family. I have a concern because I have a wife, I have, a, I have children, and I have grandchildren. I, I need to be concerned. I need to pay attention to the family. But also as a pastor, uh, I am involved in a lot of family ministry, family counseling. I, I noticed at your family, fall family fest, I tried to get that right, uh, that I saw there was a table that had a sign on it that said family counseling. Well, there's a lot of need for that. A lot of families are struggling. They need help. It's nice that we can turn to the Word of God and see the truth about the family in the midst of all the confusion and chaos uh, that we experience these days. So let me read this psalm for us, and then we'll take a look at what it says. Psalm 128 says, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy, and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Well, just by reading it, you can see that this psalm describes a happy family, a blessed family. You see it repeated Verse 1, how blessed. Uh, verse 2, you will be happy. Uh, verse 4, behold, for thus shall the man be blessed. And then again, verse 5, the Lord bless you. It's about a happy, blessed, healthy family. This family is experiencing of the grace of God. This family is experiencing the generosity of God. This family is experiencing the goodness of God. This family knows how to be happy even in the midst of an unhappy world. You notice it doesn't say anything about the circumstances of this family. It doesn't say where they live. It doesn't say whether they're rich or poor. It doesn't say what their health is like. It doesn't say what the national economy is like. It doesn't say any of those things. It just talks about the family that knows the blessing of God. And you'll notice the different ways that it expresses this blessing. This man is blessed in his work, as you can see there in verse 2. He, has, he finds satisfaction in the work that the Lord provides for him to do. And it says in verse 3 that he has a wife who's like a fruitful vine. Now that might not sound too flattering right off the bat. But a fruitful vine in this context speaks of her value. It speaks of the value of his wife. Uh, in fact, you can remember that Christ was referred to as a vine. He referred to himself as a vine in John 15. Vines bear fruit. That's what makes them so valuable. And so this speaks about the fruitful vine of a wife. 
And that fruit is not just the children that she provides, but the, the way she provides in every way in a family. This man also has children that are like olive plants. Again, that, that might not sound too exciting to you, especially if you're a child to have your parents say, you're like an olive plant. But uh, this again speaks of their value. Uh, olive plants uh, gave the, uh, the oil that comes from the olive plants is of extreme value. In fact, kings were anointed with olive oil. So again, this speaks of the value of the children. It speaks of their potential. It's a picture here of a happy family, a happy family. Now, this isn't to imply that these kind of families that we're talking about here never experience any difficulties or they never have any frustrations or disappointments or problems. We're not saying that at all because every family, every family, Every family, every family has their own issues. Amen? Oh, you, that was even weaker than the first service. And they had an excuse. It was early in the morning. When, when I preach over at Believer's Fellowship and I ask a question, they're audacious enough to answer back. So make me feel at home. And when I ask a question, just feel free. Speak up. Won't offend me. So let's try that again. Every family... Every family has their problems. Amen? Amen. Now you're talking like you mean it. Like you know what we're talking about. Like you're feeling it. We all know what it's like to have problems. We're not saying that this family never has any problems. But this family here lives within the sphere of God's blessing. And it experiences the happiness of being there. And this psalm explains why that family is in that sphere of blessing. And how, what we have provided for us here is the foundation for a happy family. It doesn't tell us everything you'd want to know about a family, but it gives us some strategic foundational truths on which we can build our family. So let's take a look at this psalm. And if you want to experience the blessings that are expressed in this psalm, then there are three characteristics that must be true of you. Number one, you need to walk in the fear of the Lord. Walk in the fear of the Lord. Verses 1 through 3, look at those again. It says, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you'll be happy and it'll be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. It all starts with the man who fears the Lord walks in his ways. This man walks in the fear of the Lord. Now there's an awful lot we could say about the fear of the Lord, but the main characteristic of somebody who fears the Lord is that they take God seriously. Uh, we could say it a lot of different ways, but what it all comes down to is the person who fears the Lord is the one who takes God seriously. And for our purposes this morning, we can say that that fear of the Lord, that seriousness, manifests itself in a couple of ways. Turn back a little bit to Psalm 112. Psalm 112 and verse 1 tells us something about this person who fears the Lord. Psalm 112 verse 1 says, praise the Lord, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord. So here's the same idea, the blessedness that comes from fearing the Lord. And here it tells us a little bit about this person who fears the Lord. 
He greatly delights in his commandments, in God's commandments. This person is absolutely focused on the word of God. He greatly delights in God's commandments. It sounds like Psalm 1, doesn't it? About the man who delights in the law of the Lord and he meditates in that word. How often? Day and night. Day and night. So what are you meditating on day and night? I know what you're meditating on day and night. It's whatever you're delighting in. Whatever you delight in is what you're going to meditate on. The person who fears God, they delight in God's word and they meditate on it day and night. It's what drives their thinking. It's what drives the way they talk. It's what motivates their life. Uh, The word of God, they delight in it. And that delight leads into a second manifestation, and that's back in our psalm, Psalm 128, verse 1. Because they delight in God's commandments, verse 1 of Psalm 128 says, they walk in God's ways. Uh, They delight in what he has to say, and they walk accordingly. Uh, You know, another way you could describe the fear of the Lord is to say, God has your attention. God has your attention. You're listening to what he has to say because you want to do what he has to say. You believe, you're convinced that that is the way of life, that that is the way of blessing. So you're going to go that way. You want to hear what he says and walk in that way. And God has revealed himself and his truth to us through the scripture. And the man who fears the Lord delights in what he reads in the scripture, the word of God, and he puts it into practice. And you can even see here in Psalm 28 some of the ways he puts it into practice as it relates to his family. Uh, Verse 2 talks about how he works. He works. He works with his hands. He works hard. He's willing to do what needs to be done uh, so that he can provide for his family. He understands he has a responsibility, and he's eager to fulfill that responsibility. God has given him a family. God has given him the means to provide for that family. He goes out and works for that family because he fears the Lord. You know, it's become real popular recently to counsel young people to find some work that you can be passionate about. Find a job you can be passionate about. So there's a whole bunch of guys sitting around doing nothing trying to find that job that they can be passionate about. Well, how about if we got passionate about the Lord and then we worked for him? Then it doesn't matter what my job is. I can bring it, bring all the passion I have to it because I'm passionate about the Lord. That's what the man who fears God does. He he has a wife who is like a fruitful vine and so he treats her like a vine. Vines, they need a lot of care. Uh, vineyards demand great care. In, in Israel, the vineyards are on the hillsides, the mountainsides even. Uh, and so you have to terrace the ground. You have to remove all the rocks. Uh, you have to plant the, the vines. And then you have to do all the things that you have to do to take care of those vines. A vineyard demands a lot of work. The idea here is that so does marriage. Marriage requires work. Uh, you, you might want to say amen to that one too. Marriage requires work. Oh, hey, good. You guys are catching on. You can come to San Antonio sometime. The God-fearing man works at his marriage. 
He recognizes the value of his wife. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Favor or grace from the Lord. A wife is a gracious gift from God to a man. He's providing a helper to that man. Now, men, the fact that your wife is a helper, what does that say about you? You need help. And, and your wife is the gracious gift of God to help you. I'm just glad anybody was willing to marry me, and I'm thankful for the grace that God extended in giving me the wife that I have. This man also sees his children like olive plants, and notice where those olive plants are. Uh, verse 3 says that they are around your table. Uh, they're around your table. These children also are gifts from the Lord, as the previous Psalm 127 says. And this man spends time with his children. He spends time with his children. He's there for them. He's there with them. And he has to be if he's going to lead them, if he's going to instruct them, if he's going to encourage them, if he's going to provide a model for them, he has to be there with them. They're around his table. He's got to be there with him, with them. You know, this week I read uh, some research that had been done recently on Christian families, and they discovered that only one-third, one-third of church parents read or discuss the Bible with their children once a week. So, I mean, it's an incredibly low standard once a week to read and discuss the Bible with your children once a week, and they could only find a third of church parents that are doing that. That's extremely disappointing. But I know it's true. I mean, I see it all the time, the families that I minister to. And, and I always ask these families, I, I say, do you feed your children every day? Do you feed them every day? Do you put clothes on them every day? Then why, if you do those things, why wouldn't you find some time during the day to sit down with your child, read some of the Bible, and talk about it with them? Why wouldn't you do that? Most parents don't do that. Most families don't do that. And you wonder why so many families are struggling? It's because they're not walking in the fear of the Lord. That's why. The God-fearing man, he recognizes that these olive plants, they need to be cared for. They need that care if they're going to bring forth the precious fruit. And notice that they are plants, not branches. Uh, they're not permanently attached to mom and dad. These plants are meant to get up and go at some point. Hallelujah. I mean, I'm, he's not sleeping. I'm sleeping just fine. Okay? They're plants. You, you tend them, you take care of them, you provide for them, and then they go. We need to understand that. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Let me show you kind of a New Testament Example of this, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. This verse might be familiar to you, 
for a number of reasons, but uh, it's helpful, I think, to see this in the context of a family. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. I'd say that that's like the equivalent of the person who delights in God's word. They've got the word of Christ richly dwelling within them. Uh, This person knows Christ. The the word has been implanted in them, as James 1.21 says, at their salvation. And this person welcomes that word in their life. They welcome it. They delight in it. The word is at home in them. It's not just an occasional guest. Uh, The word is given unrestricted access to their life. It rules every facet of their life, which means this person is dealing with sin in their life as it becomes revealed to them through the pages of Scripture. This person is a serious, committed doer of God's word. This word is at home in their lives. It's given free access And look at the results of that word dwelling in them. It says, talks about how they will speak. It goes on to say, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. When this person speaks, the person who has the word richly dwelling within them, they speak with wisdom. Do we need any wisdom in our families these days? Yeah, we need these kind of people. Because these kind of people then will speak wisdom to one another. Wouldn't it be nice in your family if everybody was speaking wisdom to one another? But it's not just what they speak. These people are also singing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing. Uh, These people are singing. What a great family this sounds like. Everybody's walking around speaking wisdom to one another, and they're singing. They're singing praise to God. They just spontaneously break out singing praise to God because the word of God dwells richly in their hearts and it's ruling their thoughts. And so they sing. This sounds like a great family, doesn't it? Sounds like a happy family, healthy family, blessed family. It also, they're not only speaking with wisdom and singing praise to the Lord, but they're saying thanks. Uh, They're singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. These people are thankful people. They're expressing gratitude. They're not whiny. They're not gripey. They're not complainy. They're thankful. Thankful people. And they're doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. This sounds an awful lot like Psalm 112.1, delighting in his word, letting it dwell richly within us. And Psalm 128.1, walking in his ways. This is just a New Testament way of saying the same thing. And this produces a happy, healthy family because it goes on from there to talk about the family. Verse 18, wives be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Well, of course, she fears the Lord. His word is richly dwelling within her. She wants to do the will of God and, and this is her role within the home. She wants to do that. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Of course, he's going to love his wife because he fears God and he wants to honor God and he recognizes his wife as a gift from God, so he loves his wife, cares for his wife, provides for his wife. 
Verse 20, children. This is the time for all you children to pay attention here. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Of course, if a child is fearing the Lord, they want to please the Lord, this is the way they can do that, by being obedient to This is a happy, healthy, blessed family. And verse 21, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. That's the last thing a father who fears the Lord wants is for his children to lose heart, for them to be exasperated. It's the family that fears the Lord. Uh, they're, They're the family that experiences the happiness that God intends. So everybody has to resolve to live in the fear of the Lord. You have to believe God's word, let it dominate your heart, and then living in the sphere of God's word, you can know the blessings that come with that. Now, I know that many families live in fear, a fear of all kinds of stuff. They're fearful of all kinds of circumstances. They're, they're, they're fearful about what's going to happen in the future. They're fearful about the economy. They're fearful about this, that, and the other thing. They're fearful about what other people might think about them. Uh, I know that families are living a lot of fear. Uh, we can replace all those fears by the fear of the Lord. I know other families that are really frantic. I mean, they're trying to do everything they can do, and they're running from here to there to everywhere else because we got to do this, we got to do that, we got to go to this place, we got to go to the other place. And so it's just nonstop activity. There's no time for sitting around the table. They're frantic. Others are just plain fatalistic. Uh, they have some bad theology. They, they think, it doesn't matter what I do, God's going to do whatever he's going to do. He's going to do whatever he wants to do in the lives of my children. It doesn't really matter what I have to do. That's bad thinking. That's not biblical thinking. That is not what the Bible teaches. God has made provision for a happy family. And the key that opens up the door to that house is the fear of the Lord. It is the fear of the Lord. Now, when you hear the fear of the Lord, uh, all kinds of thoughts might come into your mind. You might think fear of the Lord. Man, that sounds oppressive. That sounds legalistic. You know, you might have heard of Families, oh, they're a God-fearing family, which being interpreted means there's no fun at that house. They're a God-fearing family. There's no fun going on over there. Well, let me read you just a couple of verses before we leave this idea of the family that fears the Lord and and read these to you and see how it describes the person who fears the Lord. For example, Psalm 31, verse 19. Psalm 31, verse 19 says, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. So there's another way of describing the person who fears the Lord. They take refuge in him, and they are welcomed into the storehouse of God's goodness. And it says, how great is your goodness. God intends to do nothing but good, to pour out goodness on those who take refuge in him. He's got it all stored up for them, for those who fear him. One other passage that I like is in Proverbs 14, 
verses 26 and 27, which says, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Any families today needing some strong confidence? It says, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that, the one, that one may avoid the snares of death. It's a place of strong confidence. It's the place where the fountain of life is. Now, that sounds like where you'd like to hang out, right? In the storehouse of God's goodness, having strong confidence, finding a refuge, having the fountain of life. That's what's available to the family that fears the Lord. To the family that fears the Lord. We have to walk in the fear of the Lord if we're going to know the happiness that God intends for a family. And there's strong motivation for that provided uh, it further in Psalm 128. So let's turn back there and let me give you a second characteristic, second foundational element of the happy family. Not only do they walk in the fear of the Lord, but secondly, they trust in the promise of the Lord. They trust in the promise of the Lord. Verse 4, Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Behold. Uh, The writer here wants to get your attention. Uh, This is important. He's emphasizing his point here that the man who fears the Lord, he will experience the kind of family he's just described in verses 2 and 3. And and that's exactly what he's saying. Kyle and Dalich are noted Old Testament scholars, wrote commentaries on all the Old Testament. They said that verse 4 here, which which says, for behold, thus shall the man be blessed, could be translated, behold, thus is the man actually blessed who fears the Lord. It's a statement. It's a promise. You want to have the kind of family that's being described here? Uh, you, You can count on it because this is what God offers to those who fear him. It's a statement of truth. Another commentator Matthew Henry said this regarding this verse 4. He says, It is asserted with a note of commanding attention. Behold it by faith in the promise. Behold it by observation in the performance of the promise. In other words, he's saying put it to the test. See if it doesn't come true. He goes on to say, Behold it with assurance that it shall be so, for God is faithful and with admiration that it should be so for we merit no favor no blessing from him we don't deserve these kind of families there's nothing we did that earned this kind of a family but it's a graciously offered as a promise by god you fear him and, and you will be blessed with this kind of a family it's a, it's a clear promise to those who fear the Lord. And you might say, really? Are you, are you sure about that? Just read the verse. What does it say? And, and I can tell you that this is my testimony as a pastor. Because like I said, I deal with a lot of family problems in my ministry, and I'm not complaining about that. I'm just stating that that's the fact. 
And in fact, I welcome that ministry. I welcome the opportunity to minister to families and to get involved with them and teach them the, God, the word of God because then I get to see God's word go to work in their family. I get like a front row seat to see what God's going to do in, in those families. And once I, I had a couple referred to me for marriage counseling, they came to me and they started telling me their story. And I, at one point, I had to just tell them to stop because they'd already told me more than I could possibly process. This was like the worst marriage you could possibly imagine. And supposedly, the guy had recently become a Christian, so he realized, yeah, my, my marriage is a mess. Maybe we ought to try to do something about this. So they came to me for counseling, and we met two or three times, and then they kind of disappeared. And that happens sometimes. They come, they think they want help, they start getting into it, they find out what's involved, and now nah, maybe not. So they walk away. Well, after a little while, though, they reappeared, and they came back, and they wanted to meet with me. And they sat down, and they said, we have decided, we've talked this over, and we've decided we're going to give our marriage one more chance. One more chance. And so then the wife asked me a very interesting question. She said, so, out of all the marriages you have counseled, how many of them have made it? And I understood exactly what she was asking. Because she's saying, hey, buddy, if you're our last chance at this thing, like, what's your batting average? How, how good are you at this thing? And I understood exactly what she was saying. I thought it was a great question. And I said, hey, well, here's the deal. Out of all the marriages I've ever counseled, every time I have a husband and wife who are committed to doing what God says, every single one of them makes it. They don't just make it, they flourish. They have a fountain of life at their house. And they said, okay, well, that's what we want. Let's do it. Let's start. And so we did, and I got to see God transformed their marriage. I got to see the guy get baptized. They became members of the church. God's word did its work because they committed themselves to doing what God says to do. That's my testimony as a, as a pastor. That's my testimony as a man. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I never heard the gospel until I was 18 years old. I didn't know any Christians growing up. I didn't know anybody that went to church growing up. So it's not like I grew up in this hot house of a Christian family, and I know what it's all about. Not at all. That wasn't the case. And I'm here to tell you that I am an exceptionally average husband and father. In fact, you could say I'm phenomenally normal as a husband and father. I have no special skills, gifts, or abilities to make me any kind of a good husband or father, and my wife and children will tell you that's the fact. There's nothing special about this guy. But what I have learned is that God is gracious. He was gracious to come and save me. I heard the gospel when I was 18 years old, first time I'd ever heard it in my life. God saved me right then. And God had provided me with a wife. He's provided me with children. He's been extremely gracious to me. I have learned that God is gracious and his word is true. His word is true. I didn't know a lot of other things, 
but I didn't know that the Bible is from God. I want to know what the Bible says. I want to do what the Bible says. And the Bible is true. The Bible is true. I've learned the truth of God's word when I walk according to it. And I've learned the truth of God's word when I haven't walked according to it. Because when it says these will be the consequences, when you don't walk my way, it's true. It is true. You know, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Everything else will be added to you. And that's in the context where three times it's saying, Do not be anxious. And it's talking specifically about the food you're going to eat and the clothes you're going to wear. Now, are those are the kind of things families get anxious about? Yeah. And he's saying, don't be anxious, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, which sounds an awful lot like fear the Lord. Right? That verse is true. That verse is totally true. It's true because Jesus said it. It's true because it's in the Bible. And I know it's true because I've seen it. God's word is true. You can believe it. That's my testimony as a pastor. It's my testimony as a man. It's the testimony of church history. You can read throughout church history of the great revivals that have come and how that has dramatically affected families. Uh, One example would be read a little book called Memory of Sandfields by the wife of Martin Lloyd-Jones, Beth Ann Lloyd-Jones. Sandfields was where he took his first church, little, little place in Wales, and uh, it was a church that, uh, that was in an area that was suffering from a bad economy. A lot of the men were out of work and drunk. But uh, under Martin Lloyd-Jones' ministry, God brought a revival. A lot of those men got saved. And then instead of spending their money on getting drunk, they spent their money taking care of their families. You know, and it's easy to look around and judge Make your judgments uh, based on your observations and your experience and be kind of skeptical regarding what can happen in a family. You can do that, or you can look at God's word and believe what it says. Because I've had plenty of parents come to me and say, hey, my kids are grown now, and we did everything right in raising them, everything right. Really? Really? Do you think there's been any parents that have done everything right? I think, I think we've gotten to part of the problem already with them telling me we did a- everything right. And those ungrateful kids, look at what they're doing. Well, you didn't do everything right. But here's the thing I tell them is that it's not over. And you need to continue being the kind of parent God wants you to be. And who knows what he might do with your children. And people look at me, and I have three sons that are in, in ministry. And they say, wow, isn't that great? You must be so happy. Well, well, yeah, I am happy, but it's not over for them either. Because there have been plenty of men in ministry who have fallen away. So it's not like, okay, I raised these boys. They love the Lord. They're all in ministry. I'm on parental cruise control for the rest of my life. Not, not at all, because it's not over. I'm a parent until the day I die. And I need to be a faithful parent. But I can trust what God's word says. That doesn't make me lazy. 
I just need to trust him. This is the kind of family that you can have if you fear the Lord. If you fear the Lord. One other characteristic that's absolutely crucial, I think, to a happy family. You know, and the nice thing about preaching on a day like this, nobody knows what time it is. And I was told you people don't care what time the service ends, so we'll just keep going. (laughs) Now, we'll try to end on time. Uh, The third thing is you want to promote the message of the Lord. Look at verses 5 and 6, Psalm 128. Promote the message of the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. It's really the benediction of the psalm. Uh, These last two verses are a prayer for the peace upon Israel and all of its members in all of its places and all ages. In essence, these verses express the desire to see the building up of God's work and the extension of his blessing to all people in all places at all times. And that brings out an important point because the God-fearing family, the healthy family, the happy family cares for more than just itself. It cares about the building up of God's people. It cares about the people of the world, the lost people of the world, and it cares about future generations. Let me just help you see that here in in these verses. It cares about the people of God. It says, the Lord bless you from Zion. That's just another way of referring to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which was the national and spiritual capital of the people. That's where the people went to worship God. In fact, you'll notice that the title of this psalm is a song of ascents. And Psalm 120 through 134 are the songs of ascents, the songs that the children of Israel would sing as they made their way up to Jerusalem three times a year to observe the feasts that God required. And it's interesting to me that right in the middle of those songs of ascents, Psalm 127 and 128 focus on issues related to the family. But anyways, they're going up to Zion. They're going to Jerusalem. It's the place where they go to worship. And when all is well in Jerusalem, then all is well with Israel. This then is expressing the desire to see God's blessing on his people. And so to put that into our context, the Christian family that fears the Lord, they're all in with church. They're all in with God's people. It's not all just about them. They care about the people of the church. They want to minister to the people in church. They want to serve the people in church. They want to see the families of the church strengthened. It's not just about them. They don't go to church just for them. They go to serve others. They want to see God's people blessed. So this family, they promote the message of the Lord. One way they do that is by strengthening uh, the other believers. But secondly, they care about the people of the world. It says the Lord bless you from Zion, not just in Zion, not just when you're here worshiping, but from Zion, wherever you might happen to go. And God wants his people to take the message of the truth to everybody, to everybody everywhere. It's supposed to ring out from Zion in that context. And you can read other passages that talk about this. For example, Psalm 96, verses 3 and 4 say, Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples, 
For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. God-fearing family wants to see the gospel go to everybody everywhere all the time. In fact, you might remember from history that Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah, was taken captive to Babylon. And if you read Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, you'll see God instructing them to settle down there in Babylon. Because how long were they going to be there? Okay, we got two Old Testament scholars over here. Seventy years they were going to be there. Many of them wound up staying a lot longer, uh, and a pretty significant Jewish community developed there. But he tells them to settle down, build houses, plant gardens, get, have your kids get married, and bless the place where you are. Bless your enemies. And they did that. One person that we know of that went into captivity in Babylon was a man, a young man, teenager when he went, named Daniel. Was Daniel a blessing to the people of Babylon? And did any of those Babylonians get saved as a result of any of this ministry? Yeah, like, how about King Nebuchadnezzar got saved as God humbled him? The most powerful man on the face of the earth. Daniel chapter 4 describes his salvation. Uh, we're to extend blessings even to our enemies. Uh, many families, I, I don't think, quite get this right. And they wind up being overprotective. Like, we don't want to have anything to do with those sinners out there. Hey, have we forgotten we used to be those sinners out there? Aren't we glad somebody came to us with the message of life? Some families, though, it's just all about them. And in fact, they show hate and contempt towards the unbelieving world. And they express that hate and contempt in a lot of different ways. Uh, there are a lot of Christians today, and I'm not talking politics, I'm just talking about being a Christian. A lot of Christians who show hate and contempt for the President of the United States. They talk like he's the silliest, stupidest man that ever lived. It's pretty hard to reach people with the gospel when that's the kind of stuff we're saying. Uh, we're trying to reach our enemies with the gospel. The God-fearing family, they get that. They understand that. And they desire to do good to the lost people of the world by bringing them to the knowledge of the truth. They also care about a future generation. A future generation, spoken of here in verse 6, is your children's children. You want to leave a legacy as a family. You want to see the impact of the gospel multiplied through the expansion of your family. And there are places that give instruction along those lines. For example, in Deuteronomy 4, verses 9 and 10, Moses gives instruction to the people of Israel. He says, only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when the Lord said to me, assemble the people to me and that I may let them hear my words 
so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. We want to pass this thing on to our children and then to their children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Moses is saying, I want you to get this so that you can teach it to your children and then to their children. You want to keep this going on. The family that fears God cares about the future generations. Uh, Just one other passage, Psalm 78, verses 5 and 6, says, For he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. That's why it disappoints me so bad when I hear that only one-third of church parents are reading the Bible to their kids one day a week. How can we be faithful to these commands from the Lord? How can we say we care about future generations if that's all we're doing? We, We need to care about the future. I know that when my boys were born, I prayed, and I, I learned this prayer from a man who taught me, that I prayed that they would grow up to be better Christians than me, to be better Christians than me, because I figured I was going to teach them everything I could, and then others would come who would teach them other things that would take them beyond where I could go. And the Lord's been gracious to answer that prayer. I look at my boys, where they're at at this time in their life, they're way ahead of where I was. The Lord is gracious. He answers prayer. We need to care about the future. I know my wife, she started praying for the spouses of our children before our children were even born. Does that make a difference, who they marry? That makes a huge difference, especially if you're concerned about passing this truth on to future generations. We need to be praying for the extension of the gospel, and one way we can do that is through our families. The one who truly fears the Lord, they not only see the application of God's word for themselves and and also for his family, but he sees beyond his family. This kind of family understands what it's really all about. Uh, They want the message that rules their lives. They want the message that's brought such rich blessing into their life. They want other people to come under that message as well. person who fears God, they're not stuck on themselves or even on their family. They, they want the blessing to spread. So marriage and children, they are gifts from God. Now they're meant for our good and for our joy. And a God-fearing family is a happy family because they walk in the fear of the Lord, they trust in the promise of the Lord, and they promote the message of the Lord. Let me just close with this. I mean, what we've said today applies to all of us because we're all attached to a family one way or another. But primarily, the psalm is addressed to the man, the man who fears the Lord. 
because the man is called to be the leader of the home. And so I want to just close by reading you something that I read long ago from a dad that had a great impact on me, and maybe it'll help, it'll help all of you to think about your lives as well. One father, he summed it up this way. He said, my family's all grown, the kids are all gone, but if I had to do it all over again, this is what I would do. I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would laugh with my children more at our mistakes and our joys. I would listen more, even to the youngest child. I would be more honest about my weaknesses and stop pretending perfection. I would pray differently for my family. Instead of focusing on them, I would focus more on me. I would do more things with my children. I would do more encouraging and bestow more praise. I would pay more attention to the little things, deeds, and words of love and kindness. Finally, if I had it to do all over again, I would share God more intimately with my family. I would use every ordinary thing that happened in every ordinary day to point them to God. That sounds like a man who wants to fear the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful that in these days of uh, confusion, especially regarding the family, we see the family being attacked in every way it it can be. Uh, We're thankful, Lord, that we don't need to be confused, that we can turn to your word and, and see the truth and see what you really offer to a family. Uh, the blessedness, the happiness that you provide that is independent of what's going on around them. Uh, This is a family that's happy because their happiness is rooted in you and in the blessings that you give them, the storehouse of your goodness, the fountain of life that they find in you, the complete satisfaction that comes from walking with the Lord. Lord, help us never to take what you've given us in your word for granted. Help us, Lord, to believe it. Uh, Help us, Lord, to delight in it. And help us, Lord, to walk in it. Lord, I pray for the families here that you might richly bless them, that they would know the happiness that you intend for their family. Uh, I pray, Lord, that it would begin with them finding their happiness in you and walking with you. And, Lord, I I pray that you'll bless these families in a way that will be a great encouragement to the whole church and to the whole community that the impact would spread. So, Lord, we give you thanks for this time today. We thank you for your word. Most of all, we thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.